Luke 13, 22 to 35. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. People will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first, and first who will be last. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, Leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. He replied, Go and tell that fox. I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The word of the Lord. Well, good evening, everybody. No, no, that wasn't all the words. <laughs> You're out of practice. Good evening, everybody. Oh, that was extremely good. Must be this cool weather that's given you the strength to do that. Lovely to be here tonight. I got a, a two-week gig here, so I just hope you come back next week or I'll feel real bad. Okay. Is that your pen? Everybody sees where I put it there. That's good. Okay. Can you all hear me? Not an awful lot. Not an awful lot of conviction there. <laughs> okay. One of my all-time favourite hymns begins: "How sweet the name of Jesus sounds in a believer's ear." It soothes his sorrows, heals his wounds, and drives away his fear. So what is it about Jesus that has this effect? Thinking of Jesus, which we're going to do in this next couple of weeks, um, can take different forms. It can take the form of thinking here of him as 
the Christ and focus on his heavenly and eternal reign, the one who takes care of us day by day. In a word, it is Jesus as he is now, the Lord of the universe and the one to whom all power in heaven on earth has been given. Colossians chapter 3 verse 1, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. But there's another way of thinking of Jesus, a way which becomes a source of inspiration and comfort, especially in times of stress. And that way is to focus on Jesus as we see him to be in the Gospels, what he was like when he walked among us as one of us in this fallen and difficult world. Hebrews 4.15 and following, for we do not have a high priest who was unable to sympathise with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. But he's been there with us. And so that is what we're going to think about today. A special aspect of his character. And the one that I've chosen to focus on tonight is his tenderness and his kindness, but mainly his tenderness. Next Sunday, we're going to be looking at how he helps us to become more like him. But today, we're talking about the man we read of in the Bible and his tenderness. First, we begin with a quick overview of how the Gospels describe this side of his character. There's the story of Jesus and the leper. Here was a ritually unclean and filthy leper. A man who, apart from his horrible illness, was condemned to live out his life as an outcast from society and a beggar. And he came to Jesus seeking to be healed. And the gospel tells us that when he came to him, Jesus reached out and touched him. Touched him. Something no Jew would ever do. But Jesus touched this poor man and healed him. 
Then there was the woman who had been terribly ill for 12 years. She'd spent all her money on doctors and that hadn't worked. And she too was an outcast, pushed out of normal society as someone who was unclean and was having what we would describe as a wretched existence. But she'd heard about Jesus and his healing so bravely she pushed her way through the crowd and reached out to touch his garment thinking that that might heal her and nobody would know. But Jesus stopped and he looked around and he said, who touched me? Everybody's looking around. She came forward, trembling and humiliated to confess. You see, she was hoping to have this private healing, but she needed it to be known. How could she be restored to society and life if nobody knew she'd been healed. Who touched me, he said. And uh, she came forward. Ever so tenderly, he said to her, daughter, your faith, not some magic garment, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Isn't that a lovely story? A nobody. But Jesus was tender to her. Then there was the widow of Nain. Now Nain was a little village in Galilee. I've driven past it that many times and when we drive past we say, you see over there, that's the, that's the village of Nain. And I've always wanted to stop and have a look at it. And somehow I've never, in the ten times I've been in Israel, I've never done it. But I know where it is. It's more than any of you, I can tell you. <laughs> anyway, there is the widow of Nain. She's a widow and her only son had died. So she had nobody. Luke 7.13 says, When Jesus saw her and the funeral procession, he had compassion on her and said, Do not weep. And he said to the lifeless young man, Arise. And he gave him back to his mother. Isn't it beautiful? And then, what about his attitude to children? Children? Well, when the disciples shooed them away, he said, let the children come to me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Then it says, he took them in his arms and he blessed them, laying his hands 
on them. Tenderness towards children. And his tenderness extended even to those most hated of people, the greedy, dishonest tax collectors. Everybody hated them, not because they had to pay their taxes, but because they were creaming off the top, if you know what I mean. They were taking their cut before the money went to the government, you see, and they, everybody knew they were, they were crooks. So that's why they hated the tax collectors. Well, one of them, Matthew, he made one of his disciples. He wrote the first gospel we have in our Bible. And when the people complained that he'd spent too much time with tax collectors and sinners, he said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And when he was arrested, he actually healed one of those sent to arrest him, whose ear had been sliced off by one of the disciples. And when they were nailing him to the cross, and here's something you don't quite get in the English translation, but it's quite clear in the Greek. It says, he prayed over and over again, Lord, saying, Father, Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And during those long hours of agony on the cross, he took time out to tell his disciple John to what? To do what? To look after his mother. And to the dying thief next to him, who asked to be remembered when he came into his kingdom, Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. You see, there's a pattern in all of these things. Jesus was the personification of tender love. And what about when he said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, this is an ever so brief overview of what Jesus was like as he lived among us. And now I want to take you to one of the most moving moments of tenderness I know. And you just heard it read. The setting is when he was thinking about his upcoming and final visit to Jerusalem before his crucifixion. Listen to what he said. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets 
and stones those who are sent to you. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you would not. And you would not. Do you feel the sadness in those words? He wanted to surround them with his tender love. But they would have none of it. He knew what they were planning to do to him. And still he said, How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings? And you would not. Now remember, this is no ordinary city. This was the centre of Jewish worship. This was about the people whose ancestors had been rescued from Egypt and given the land flowing with milk and honey. This was the city to whom the prophets had come time and time again, pleading for them to turn back from their sinful ways. And it was this city that was about to reject him and put him to death. And yet he said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who killed the prophets and stoned those sent to you, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you would not. You have to take time with this to feel his broken heart. Now maybe he has cause to feel that way about some of us. Could it be that underneath the show of allegiance, there are some here, like the Jerusalem of long ago? Could it be that all along you have harboured reservations and you have not yet actually made a decision to surrender to him. And you would not. A little later in Luke's Gospel, we read a very similar passage to this one that we're thinking about right now. And that is in... Um, when he, he drew near and he saw the city in front of him. Now, if you've never been to Jerusalem, anybody here been to Jerusalem? Put your hand up. Has anybody been here? Somebody up the back? Yes, Bruce up the back. My wife, of course. <laughs> she can't help it. She has to go with me when I go. Well, you see, the Mount of Olives is, is sort of like a ridge 
not very high, and it goes down into a little valley called the Kedron Valley, and it comes up the other side and you see the city. And you'll see it often on television as it is today with the blue mosque and the big open courtyard area of the old temple. And so when you go to this top of the mountain there, the Mount of Olives, it's only about 400 yards away, uh, meter, sorry, metres away. I'm too old to remember. And you look down at that. And Jesus was standing there and it says that as he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. He wept, saying, and listen to this, would that even you, would that you, even you, had known on this day, and remember this is when he's going to go down into the city riding on the donkey with all the crowds cheering him, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. He said that and he wept over Jerusalem because they would not. And the pain that you are seeing here is like the pain a parent feels when their love is pushed away by their children. Some of you know, but in my teenage years, that was me. So bad was my behaviour that eventually my mother and stepfather actually threw me out of the home and told me never, ever come back. Think of that. Years later, I was told that my mother used to cry over me every night. She wanted to gather me like a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and I would not come. That is, until the day I did come, not to her, but to Jesus, and then to her, in shame and contrition. And I guess, really, that's maybe why this passage has always meant so much to me. In the parable of the prodigal son, you have a picture of a father watching and waiting for his wayward son. And then the joy when he came home. But what if he had never come home? How do you feel that father, how do you think that father would have felt? Well, that's how Jesus feels over those who refuse to come home to him. Not just Jerusalem, but us, me. And you, if that's you. 
Now, here is the point. When life is hard, when feelings of shame are strong, when fear rules because of an uncertain future, there is something about looking to Jesus as we see him in the Gospels that becomes a source of comfort and peace and inspiration. It makes us feel that we can trust someone like that to be in charge of our life. I certainly found that to be the case when I went through the pain of losing my dear wife of 38 years to cancer. Somehow during those dark times, I found that just reading the, the stories of Jesus gave me comfort. I don't know how it happened. And I used to think, if the one who is in charge is like that, then I can trust him in my dark times. And he did not let me down. So if you don't do anything else from hearing me tonight, start reading and rereading the Gospels. Fill your minds with the pictures of the tenderness of your Lord, the one who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Not only that, but as you read the stories of Jesus and his love and tenderness, you see that he is actually our model. He's the one whom we are supposed to be like now that we belong to him and we see how he lived and that becomes our model. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 31, Paul said, let all bitterness and wrath and anger, clamour and slander be put away from you along with all malice. He said, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Now, one final word. There may be folks here today who are still on the outside of this beautiful, sweet, tender love. Like Jerusalem of old, And despite the many overtures of love, you still have not yet come back to him. Well, if that's you, 
and you're still interested, he still says to you what he said back then. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But have you not come? Or have you come? I remember when I eventually did come to him at the Billy Graham crusade in 1959. I know you find that very hard to believe that I was even alive in 1959. That I was 17 years of age in 1915. So that makes me 81. Don't do this maths, okay? Out there at the Sydney showground... And on the day that I went for the first time, there was a beautiful hymn sung by the famous singer George Beverly Shea. And it says it all. I won't sing it, but I will read it to you because it sums up everything I want to say about the tenderness of Jesus, the one you can trust. Here it is. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. Calling for you and for me. See on the portal, he's waiting and watching. Watching for you and for me. Come home, come home, you who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling, O sinner, come home. And you, will you come? Or will you not? We're all going to get the chance to respond in praise of our God in song. Um, to the tenderness of Jesus now. So please stand as we sing our next song.
Welcome the kids back in. So good to see all the kids back as we now move into our time of 
uh, communion and sharing in uh, communion uh, together. So the Lord's Supper, which we're going to share now, is a meal where God speaks his good news to us and we act out our trust in him. As we eat and drink, we are spiritually nourished. As God feeds,